doesn't, you see. He broadcast this, his intentions as often as he could. And despite this blatant advertising, we saw how people missed what God was doing, either through inattention or through a completely different focus on worldly things. So does anybody remember what we were talking about there? We prayed at the end, remember, that we would respond to the word of God for our lives and that we would not fall prey to those sins of inattention or wrong focus in our lives. Hands up if you can remember that. Okay, so three or four people uh, remember that one. So this morning, I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to tell you that God's plans are going smoothly. Who's happy about that? I am not, he is not concerned or worried about the progress of his plans. He is calm and serene and confident about the outcome. I am also here to tell you that that doesn't mean that we can have the same attitude about our plans or our lives. Uh, I want to hand something out before I go any further, um, which is a promise from God. Um, and just, just hand those down. Just look at the front for the moment. Don't turn it over. Well, you can have... Have you got three there? Three there. Oh, that's... I think I've got more than enough, so just, if you've got, got too many, pass them to the row behind you. If you haven't got enough, steal it from somebody else. Right, now we seem to have enough. No looking at the back. There will be punishment for those who look at the back. That's all right, you can keep the extras. In fact, if you've got two, you can... Now, what does it say on the front? It says, the promise of things to come. Who knows that God has promised things for our lives? He promises that he has plans and purposes which are for good and that he has a destiny for us and that we should be pretty happy about what God's got planned. Is that right? So I want you to turn turn the card over. And this is an agreement that God is making with you. He promises that the plans and the purposes he has for your life are good and to give you a future and a hope. These plans come with the following promises. That you will have a long and trouble-free life. Your prayers will be answered in the manner you expect. All challenges will be easily overcome. Your patience will never be tested. Everyone you tell about Jesus will be saved. You will never be mocked for your faith. And sacrifice is for other people. And everything will be convenient for you. Who loves those promises? Now, just in case anybody is tempted to take them home and put them on their fridge, you will notice that I have put a big red cross under them. Because these promises are not included anywhere in God's promises and plans and purposes for our lives. In fact, they are so far from the truth, I want you to hold this out in front of you and I want you to tear it in half. And I don't want you to throw it on the floor. I want you to pass it to the center aisle and we will form neat piles of rubbish. And if you've got two, you can have a go at ripping both of them. Don't rip them in more than half because it just makes extra pieces. But I just wanted 
to give you an idea of the fact that God has a right to be calm and serene about his plans and purposes. But he doesn't enter our lives and include us in those plans with the expectation that we face the same confidence. Why, do you ask? Well, because we're we're here to grow. God isn't actually interested in our comfort. He's interested in our growth as Christians, as people, as mothers and fathers, as children. And so his idea of how we outwork the plans he has for us are quite different. I'm here to tell you that if that describes your life, what you read on the back of that leaflet, then you are currently ignoring God's call on your life. Conversely, if your life seems miserably difficult right now, it doesn't mean that God has somehow forgotten you. In fact, you could be right in his sights. Don't you love that feeling? So before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that it's there to teach us, to correct us, to encourage us and to grow us. And this morning, I thank you that your Holy Spirit here this morning will change lives, will enlarge spirits, strengthen hearts and make minds keener as we go forward in your plans, in Jesus' name. And all the holy people here said, and all the unholy people said, Amen as well. So, now that we've ripped up the the idea of a comfortable life, I want to introduce you to four people in the Bible who are actually central to God's plans, God's certain and serene and comfortable plans, and they actually took part in the culmination of centuries of careful planning. And yet their involvement in God's well-laid plans threw their lives into total chaos. Who are these four people? It's no good looking there, you won't be able to see them. If you, if you want to get ahead, we're, we're going to meet them in Luke chapter 1 verse 6, if you want to get there quickly. And their names were Zeke, Lizzie, Mary and Joe. And so they were just four normal people. And in, in Luke Chapter 1 and verse 6, we can see we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Zeke and Lizzie as I like to call them. And it says, They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So here we've got a picture of two people. In today's language, they're churchgoers, they're saved. They do all all the right things, they read the word, they pray, they're they're solid Christians, but they've never been able to have children, and they're ancient, really old. So they probably go to our church, because we have some of those people here. Put up your hands if you're ancient. (laughs) I actually didn't mean just because you feel ancient. (laughs) So... So they're just, their lives are pretty boring. Pretty, you know, they go to church on Sundays, they're retired, they sit out in the front veranda and sometimes they talk about the fact they could never have kids. And, and then suddenly, out of the blue, the archangel Gabriel visits Zeke at work and he appears before him. And this is what happens. This is in verse 13. So have you got, got down to verse 13? I keep forgetting, you can't see this. This is good stuff. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. It's a good way to start when an angel appears in front of you. Do not wet your pants. It's all right. I'm an angel. 
God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at, the, at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, that's, that's an awesome thing to have said to you, isn't it? So Zechariah says, thank you very much. No, Zeke's a, Zeke's a normal guy. He looks at himself and he looks at the angel. He says, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. He knows he can't say she's old. <laughs> so Zeke knows the rules. So wow, I mean, can you imagine such awesome news? And interestingly, if we look at this, I don't know how well you've read your Bible, but this isn't the first time that this has happened. God has used people who don't seem capable of carrying out his will, no matter how much they may be willing. And in fact, one of their own ancestors had the very same doubt. You don't have to turn here, but in Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, it says here, Abraham bowed down to the gra- ground, and he's just been talked to by an angel, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So we've said this has happened before. And we know what happened to Abraham and Sarah. They had kids. In fact, these guys are their descendants. And so we discover now that Gabriel, Gabriel at this point in time, had lost his sense of humor completely. So Zechariah says to him, can't see how this is going to happen. And uh, so... Um, the angel said in verse uh, 19 the angel says I am Gabriel I stand in the very presence of God it was he who sent me to bring you this good news don't diss me he says just because you've been cheeky you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time and immediately Zeke gets struck dumb for nine months Elizabeth goes hooray Actually, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Um, And guess what happens? Move down to verse 24. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Not only that, but they managed that without Zeke having to say a word. I think think there's a lesson for that for you young men. Sometimes less is more. Hello? Why was that so loud? That was probably up the back. So so we've got this thing happening here. God has come into these people's lives and Elizabeth's really happy. She's experienced something where the shame that she's lived with all her life for being barren has suddenly been lifted. Zeke has run into trouble because he's questioned Gabriel and he's been struck dumb for his troubles. Now, if you were them, you can imagine Elizabeth being sort of fairly happy, but Zeke would be a little put out. So I think, well, is this God? Really? I've been been struck. I can't say anything. And so their lives are already slightly upside down. So now we come to Mary and Joe. And if we keep going in the Gospel of Luke down to verse 26, we see that in the six months 
sixth month of Elizabeth's... In the second semester... <laughs> trimester. <laughs> Semesters are... Ooh, holy cow. We've, we're on, uh, are we on board with everything? Excellent. Well, in that case, if we can go back to the beginning... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going to go through it all again. It's just that while I was preparing this, I came across a quote on social media from uh, the Gospel of John. Um, and if you've got it up there in the first couple of slides, it's from John 8, 20, 32. And it says, the truth will set you free. Who's heard that, who's heard that comment before? Is that not loaded? It's right at the beginning of the message, sandwiched between two slides. No, okay, forget about that one. But it had a little subtitle which I really liked that said, but first it will make you miserable. <laughs> and that was the essence of what I'm telling you today. So here, here we are, we're back with um, Mary and Joe. So in the six months, <laughs> Elizabeth is pregnant, right? God sends the angel Gabriel, he uses Gabriel again, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. So here we have the same angel, two different women. And the interesting thing and an important thing about this is the, these women know each other. In fact, they're related. And he brings them a very similar message and gets a very similar response. Verse 29 says, Confused and disturbed, Mary tries to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary does exactly the same as Zeke. She says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Zeke didn't say that bit, by the way. So here we've got the angel Gabriel. He's spoken to one person who's given him lip and he's made him dumb for nine months. Here we get another person who does exactly the same. That gets a great message. You're going to give birth to the saviour of the world. Aren't you happy? Uh, no, not happening. I'm a virgin. But Gabriel's response is totally different. He actually explains what's happening. The angel replied, this is in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, yep, it's all there. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be, no, yes, be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Gabriel's not too frightened to say old in that context. People used to say she was barren, but he's conceived a, she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left. Now we also know from one of the other Gospels, and you can see it in Matthew 1 verse 19, that Joseph himself was more than a little disturbed about this turn of events. I mean, this is a guy who's just got engaged to the prettiest girl in the village and they're going to get married and have babies and he's going to be a carpenter and she's, you know, they're going to live 
happily ever after in Nazareth. And suddenly he finds out she's pregnant. And they knew enough about the birds and the bees to recognise that it wasn't him. And so he, he, he took the appropriate action in, in that case. And it says, in Matthew 1.19, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we can see here that when people walk in their destiny and participate in God's plans for their lives, although God is calm, sure, and certain about what is happening, he has it under control. The same cannot be said for the people involved in that plan. Zeke, Lizzie, Mary and Joe were totally freaked out by what was happening. Now before we tie all of this together, because I'm going to tie all this together, there's one more thing I want to actually look at, look at in this story. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 39, it talks about the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. And it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a gl glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So here we have these four people. Miraculous things are happening, but guess what? They don't happen in isolation. There's a connection that goes on here. And if we look further on, when John is actually born in Luke Chapter 1, verse 59, it says, When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. You sort of wonder, who's all? And back in those days, it was everybody. I mean, the whole village, the whole, you know, even from neighbouring villages, you know, people came to celebrate this. And so the family wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, because that's how things were done. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there is no one in your family by that name. I mean, wouldn't it be a boring world today if people didn't name children only after f people who already existed? We'd have no strange names at all, <laughs> except for Zechariah and things like that. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Now, there's a whole cultural thing in, in, those, in that conversation that we won't go into, um, but he motioned for a writing tablet, got his iPad out, and to everybody's surprise, he typed, his name is John, and it flashed up on the screen. Well, on his tablet, same thing. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. Now, you think Zechariah has been nine months without being able to say a word. I mean, can you imagine the amount of frustration that has built up inside this man? And so... The first words he could speak, you'd sort of think, well, and what have you done with the dog? And why isn't the kitchen done? And why, who has chopped the wood? And, but no. Instead of that, the first words out of his mouth are praises to God. 
He began praising God and awe fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. And if you read further on, which we won't, it says he immediately then got up and began to prophesy. And so what does this tell us about this chain of events in, in God's plan? And how does that relate to us as being people who are called to take part in God's plan? Who here believes that they're called to take part in God's plan? Can, everybody who, who does, can you just raise your hands, come on. This is, this, is a, this, is a, this is a physical exercise as well. Keep your hand up if you are prepared to go through sacrifice, hardships and have your life turned upside down to, to do that. <laughs> it's hard to do, isn't it? Because we like to think that, there, you can put your hands down. We like to think that there are good thing, times ahead, that God has plans for us that we're going to grow and and see great things come out of this but the fact that it's going to cause us things that we don't expect I think is the hardest thing I mean if if you look at it these people's lives were not just slowly guided in a different direction God dumped stuff into their lives they fell pregnant they were struck dumb they their social standing was challenged because of pregnancy and and all sorts of things happened and yet God believed in them and his plan was unshakable. There are four things that we need to know about what happens here that affect our lives. The first thing is that God uses ordinary, faithful people to do extraordinary things. He uses you and he uses me. Not because of our talents, not because we're better than anybody else, but because we're available. It will be inconvenient. It will test your faith. It will stretch your resolve and it will make you or it will pass you by. God isn't into breaking people. But if you don't step up to the challenge, you'll find somebody who will. The only prerequisite these people had was that they could trace their lineage back to Adam. We have that same inheritance when we accept Jesus Christ as our saviour. The second thing we can take from the events that I've just read out to you is that it's okay to doubt. The situation will not look normal to the rest of the world. We can doubt. If we doubt, we have to make sure we're prepared to accept the consequences. Zechariah was struck dumb because he doubted. Mary had the situation explained to her because she doubted. Two totally different responses. My thought with that is Zechariah was old. He'd been a Christian for a long time. He knew the word backwards, forwards, sideways, up and down. He should have known better. He'd had experience in God's word. If an angel appeared to him because of his long standing in the faith, he should have been able to accept that. And the fact that he couldn't annoyed Gabriel and he said, well, how about you not be able to speak so you have to spend nine months listening to God? Mary was 15 and a virgin, scared for her life. I think it's quite reasonable that God would explain the situation to somebody young in their faith. The the lesson in that is we can doubt, but our level of faith will determine what happens with that doubt, the response to that doubt. God doesn't treat us the same. He expects mature Christians to stand on their own two feet. 
He expects us to have a bit more backbone to be able to stand up without crying to God every five seconds about the fact that we're doubting that he's in our lives. The way you do that, the word of God is really good. It pays to actually read it. And there's this thing that we communicate God with, um, what do we call it? Prayer. Prayer, that's it. Prayer is also good to do. And not just on Wednesday nights. I mean, come Wednesday night, and that should prepare you. It should introduce an atmosphere into your life that you want to take home. You get up every morning and you think, God is here. Just like on Wednesday night when I could feel his presence, but it's just him and me. It should be more intimate. Sometimes God may say, hear me. It might be a good, good thing in prayer just to be quiet sometimes. Not just babble away in tongues because that's what you see people do. It might be good to listen to God. It's okay to doubt. Number three, make sure you take your doubt to God. Joseph and Mary's doubt was both answered by an angel. Zechariah's doubt was answered with nine months of having to listen to God because he couldn't speak. Elizabeth had no doubt. She just assumed that God was blessing her by taking away the shame that she'd endured all her life. She accepted that as like, wow, I'm pregnant. She didn't say, this is impossible at 90. She said, I'm pregnant. God has taken away my shame. This is amazing. I mean, she was... It's a bit like if Granny stood up and said, hey guys, I'm pregnant. Because <laughs> she was about the same age as Granny. Granny's a little younger. How long did... No, it doesn't say how old Elizabeth was. But hey, I mean, we would be ecstatic, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> and we would definitely believe it was God. Yeah. It would be a miracle. So... We all have different levels of faith. God can work with that. We just have to be careful we don't start comparing ourselves to other people. It's okay to doubt, but let's take our doubt to God. Number four, God's plan for your life does not happen in isolation, ever. The idea that God speaks to us personally and gives us a plan and a purpose for our life and it's holy because nobody understands us and we're just going to do it with God because you know, everybody else is against us, but just me and God, we can do it. And you go and start a ministry, start a church, do something, and everybody else says you're wrong, but you and God know it's right. That is crap. That is just you, not you and God. Because it doesn't have, God works with people, not with person. We are not called alone to follow God. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes you'll find there are people who are ungodly who oppose you. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you look here, what happened? Mary and Elizabeth. The confirmation of what was happening in their life was not just because an angel had spoken to them. It was actually because they got together, they compared their experiences, which agreed with one another, And not only that, the result of those experiences agreed as well. Mary's, Elizabeth's baby jumped at the presence of Mary and Jesus. Elizabeth was immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. These things happened because of the interaction between them. If Mary and and Elizabeth had stayed apart, Elizabeth would never have been filled with the Holy Spirit. John would never have met Jesus when he was in the womb, and given that sign that he knew who Jesus was. Notice that Elizabeth immediately prophesied. She said, how come the, the mother of my Lord has come to visit me? 
These things only happened because they got together. God does not visit us alone and carry out any of our plans alone. If it's just you and God, it's just you. Because God will always involve other people in your destiny. Zechariah's obedience. You know, he was there. He, he was struck dumb in the temple. Nobody else was there. He just wandered out and... And if you read it, it actually says, because he was struck dumb, everybody else automatically assumed that he'd had an encounter with God. Interesting. But he spent nine months where he couldn't speak, but God could speak to him. And he could have gone away in a cave and become Zechariah the hermit and meditated on everything that God had told him in that nine months. But what did he do? God takes the barrier from his speech and immediately he starts praising God. Immediately he starts prophesying. Immediately he reaches out to people and starts talking to them about God. It's about community. It's about interaction with one another. We are never alone with God beyond the point of our personal relationship with him. If he has plans and purposes for you and for me, let me tell you, other people are involved. Always. No exceptions. What happens gets known. God wants to spread his word. Have you ever noticed that? God didn't say, go out and make disciples of all people you think might be interested and keep it, keep it secret from everybody else. He said, go out into all the world, make disciples of all people. God's desire, I mean, Zechariah, he, he's in his own home. His baby's being circumcised. He speaks, he praises God, he prophesies. Everybody in the house hears it. But it doesn't stop there. It says the whole neighborhood got to hear it and the story spread throughout the Judean hills. Now, it wasn't like they could all get on their phones and text it. This is people traveling vast distances and preaching the word of God so that other people get to hear. God's destiny for this earth is interconnected. And when we hear from God, we need to, I mean, sometimes you need to be careful who you share it with. But we need to share it with other believers. We need to talk to other believers because guess what? Your destiny in Christ is tied up with other believers. We are called together, even as churches. You know, every church is different. I don't necessarily believe that's of God. I think that's of men. But God tolerates that because he knows that, God knows us. And he knows that, you know, we operate together better sometimes in our own thinking if we worship certain ways and so that the people who like to worship that way get together we talk about the word in certain ways and it draws people to together in a church but that doesn't mean that we are totally separated from other churches I mean I know that some of our youth went to Victory Church on Friday night for a youth celebration to commemorate the sad loss of their youth pastor now we don't have anything to do with Victory Church, apart from the fact that you know, Vicky and I know the pastor, Tony Rainbow, and we've met him a couple of times, but he doesn't ring us up to ask us what to do with his board decisions and sort of what songs we're using for worship in case he wants to copy us. Or, and we don't do the reverse, but we acknowledge that you know, our success in building the kingdom of God and his success are, are tied together. The th- bad things that happen in his church, we need to take on board because they affect the body of Christ. Good things that happen, we need to celebrate because we're connected. Not always, you know, we're not all buddy-buddy necessarily, but we need to accept and believe that other churches 
are just as blessed by God as this one. They might not think the same, they might not talk the same, they might not play the same music. But we've got to believe that we are connected. You know, our plan, the plans God has for us are connected in ways that we just cannot understand. And we've got to give that rein. So one, God uses ordinary people. Who's an ordinary people? We're going to be used. It's okay to doubt, but take your doubt to God. And don't forget that if you're hearing from God, you need to talk to other believers about it. You need to tell people what God's saying. You need to ask them to pray for you. You need to get together in agreement so that what happens is when you're doing something, you come together, the Spirit leaps, that you get excited about what you're doing because God is connecting things together. That is what happens when God moves among his people. It will turn your life upside down. But rejoice in it. Things will change that we cannot control. But that's for our own good. Otherwise we'd have boring lives. Who wants a boring life? Some of you do, I know. But don't admit that here. And the first step to actually having your life turned upside down is to actually get to know the turner upside downer. And luckily he's got a much simpler name than that. He's Jesus Christ. And that in itself, to take the first step on that road is simplicity itself. It's an invitation that he extends to all people to become his disciples. And he says, all you have to do is accept me into your heart to acknowledge that I am indeed your Lord and your Saviour. And I will start you on a path which involves my plans and my purposes for your life. So I, I don't know everybody here. I don't know the condition of everybody's heart. And so this morning I'm going to ask if there's anybody here who actually wants to take that first step to acknowledge that they have a Saviour and His name is Jesus Christ. That they have somebody who has Lordship over their life. Father God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that they actually want to walk in their purpose and their destiny for the rest of their days. Can I ask you just to close your eyes for a moment? If you are here and you've never asked Jesus into your life, you've never prayed a prayer, you've never made a statement to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Or if you're here and you've done it in the past, but you know in your heart that you have not lived your life true to that call. I want to invite you right now while all heads are bowed just to lift your hand where you are because I would love to pray a prayer with you this morning to invite Jesus into your life if that is you. If you've never done that before and you want to do that this morning or if you have done it but you want to renew that commitment while no one's looking around just pop your hand up and I'd love to pray with you. Awesome. Open your eyes. Let's stand to our feet. I just want to pray before we finish. Lord, we stand here as your children, ordinary people. We may be gifted and talented, but 
We're not looking to use those because we accept that it's your power and your presence in our lives that changes us. So Lord, we rejoice in the fact that your plans and purposes for us are certain in heaven. That you are steering our lives, you are not afraid, you are not uncertain, you do not have a, a dim and uncertain view of our future, but you know your plans and purposes. And in celebrating that, we humble ourselves to recognize that our lives are in your hands. And if you want to turn them upside down, then we happily agree to that. If you want to do things that are unexpected in our lives, we will humble ourselves and accept what you are doing without complaint. And if we do doubt, we're going to take it to you to have those doubts erased. We are your humble servants, Lord. We love you. We honor you. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.